Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Welcome to the best, the best week of the year, Thanksgiving week. Absolutely awesome. Uh, I don't know why. Well, I know why I like it. There's no pretense about Thanksgiving, you know? There's no, I don't have to worry about what to give Joshua. I don't have to worry about what Drew wants for Christmas. This is where we're just thankful and we discover thankfulness before God and just eat until we're just full and watch football and play Super Nintendo with the grandkids and just a great time. How many of you are, have already set up your Christmas lights? Come on, please. What? There you go. Don't be ashamed. Be proud. There you are. Yes. Yeah, I've already got mine inflated. My neighbors are already annoyed. And, and I just tell them, you know, this, this is all about Jesus. I got them things up there. And so please just set your heart to enjoy this, this coming week and weekend together. We got a new series coming up next week called Hope on the Move. And we're going to be talking about how the Christmas story addresses very significantly the hard, dark structures of life. Um, there's a lot of dark, rigid, immovable structures in life, whether it call it politics, call it cancer, call it um, uh, a bad marriage or whatever it be. There are a lot of times we encounter structures that we can't move and we may not have power over, but how the story of Christmas reminds us that hope is on the move even in dark, hard structures. But over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about doing life together and that God has um, invited us to do life together. And it's so much so that when Jesus had an opportunity to pray, he didn't pray for this building, he didn't pray for our projectors, he didn't pray for the music, he didn't pray for any of that. That when we, and we didn't get a lot of write down of what, was Jesus, what Jesus was praying. So when we got a prayer written down by Jesus, um, that really tells us what's he into. And here's what he prayed. He said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Over and over again, he prayed that they may be one even as we are one, that they may be one even as we are one. Over and over again, it is the most repeated prayer of Jesus is that you and I, would do life together. And that we wouldn't just be together, I mean, because you can do that at a bar. That we wouldn't be just together because you can do that in a political party. That we wouldn't just be together, we call that a workplace, but that we would be together as he is together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in complete love, truth, peace, mercy, compassion. Um, and so that's what God's called us to and how to live together. It's a, together. Together has an ethos. It has a culture. It's kind of like a couple. You'll hear people say, yeah, I've been married for 45 years. But you know, that could be just 45 years of you being a jerk. That could be 45 years of manipulation. It could just be you guys doing time together. That together, as God has called us to be together, has a culture. It has an ethos. It has character. And, and so what we're rediscovering is what does that look like for us as a church, as the body of Christ? What does that culture look like? What is it supposed to be like? And so last week, 
we went back and we rediscovered what together in the church looked like. Um, it's what it looked like in uh, like when the biscuits just came out of the oven. And I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a biscuit guy. Um, so if you're a biscuit cooker, uh, put me on your list. But here's the thing about biscuits that I've discovered. Uh, last week, the ladies had a woman's breakfast, which was great. And usually I get a little sampling of the Lord's ministry uh, when my wife brings home me a, a little tray. It's the Lord's work. It's the Lord's work. And so when he, he, she'll bring me home a tray and it had biscuits. And she goes, you're going to love these biscuits. And, and they were, and I ate them. And I was kind of like, that's a good biscuit, you know. Um, but you know that there's no biscuit like the biscuit when it comes out of the oven. Now, we try all kinds of alchemy and voodoo to try to bring the biscuit back. You'll take that biscuit and you'll put it in a frying pan with a little bit of butter and you'll just kind of take it and you'll squash it down and you'll take it and make it crunchy and, that, and you'll try to rejuvenate the biscuit. Or maybe you've learned the microwave trip. The microwave trick is you, you know, put it on a plate, then you get a, a paper towel and you put a little bit of wet on the paper towel and you stick it in there. Or if you have one of those things like it's kind of like a chicken fryer, or a dry fryer, what do they call, what do they call those things? Air fryer. Yeah, you put it in an air fryer. I don't get around the kitchen that much. Uh, except for, but there's something when that oven opens up and they are fresh. And so what has happened to church is here we are in the 21st century and I think the biscuits got cold and the biscuits got a little stale, you know, and we added some things to these biscuits and these biscuits don't taste good anymore. I mean, look at it. We, we kind of, we make it hard to be a Christian. We came up, we added a couple more rules about being a Christian. Oh, we don't dance. We don't drink. We don't listen to rock and roll or, you know, so-called. I, I don't know who those people are, but they don't. Um, then we, you know, we're thinking, well, what we need to get back to is the 1950s. Like, no, we don't need to get back to the 1950s. Well, what we need to do is get back to the 1800s, you know, or we need to get back to the 1600s with the, the, the Puritans and the Pilgrims, and, and, and all. that's what we need to get back to. Or we need to get back to when, when Christians were marching against Muslims and killing each other over the city of Jerusalem in the Holy Wars. You know, we need to get back to all that stuff. It's like, no, no, we don't need to get back to that. What we need to get back to, what was in the mind of Jesus when the biscuits came out of the oven? What happened? What was it that, that came out after Jesus, you know, when the church started? So we actually had it recorded for us. Um, this is what Jesus wanted. This is what Jesus was about. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has fallen, Jesus has ascended, and then this is what the church does. This is what was recorded in Scripture, because this is what Jesus prayed for. It says, and they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. See, they were, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to grow. They wanted to learn. They wanted to hear how Jesus taught. They were committed to relationship together and to fellowship. They were committed to sacramental living, that coming back to the table of Christ 
where forgiveness happens. They were a people of forgiveness. They were a people who sought prayer. Prayer, they prayed to God and they honored God, but they also prayed for one another. They were living in community. This is just, this is the smell of fresh biscuits. This is what the church was like. And all those who believed were together and all had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. I don't know about you, but compared to that, church today is some nasty, stale biscuits. You know, it really is. Um, And so what God is calling us back to is to experience and to live church together, to do life together. You know, and I'm a a pragmatist. I'm an A-type personality. I am a baby boomer. So that means I'm into process, you know? I mean, it's like you do these five steps and you'll have success type of guy. And so, um, so when I think about, we do small groups. And so we have all these small groups and you, the idea is you pick one, go to a small group. And so people ask me this, this last semester, is like, hey, do a small group. I'm like, okay. But then I began to notice that people came to my small group. And what I would expect is if you come to my small group, you join my small group, then that's it. You don't go to another small group. Because if you go to another small group, I'm wasting my time. If you're just going to go to another small group, then why am I doing a small group? It's like, I don't need to do it. But sure enough, people would come to my group and they'd be like, okay, well, tomorrow we're going to uh, Chris, Chris's small group. I'm like, oh, you're in Chris's small group too, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and then we're going to Josh's small group with the guys. It's like, oh, you're going to that group too. And I'm like, what the heck? Why am I wasting my time having a group if these people are going to go to all these other groups? It's because I lost vision of what the church was supposed to be. It's said in the scriptures, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. It's like, I'm from a generation that you do your Sunday thing and get it over with. Yeah, and that's why in churches, we cater to that. We do church on Saturdays so that you can knock it out. I loved being Catholic. I was Catholic for a long time in my life. You could do mass on Saturday afternoon. You could do mass on Sunday, you know, and then it was like, you do it early in the morning. And if, you're, if you messed up, you could do Sunday at night. I don't know. Obviously, you're not watching uh, Sunday night football, but you could, you could always do that. And, and see, my, that was my mentality, was that you just knock church out. But these people were doing life together. And that's, it said, and people were getting healed and that people were experiencing a sense of awe. People were having gladness together. Is that what you're experiencing in church in America today? Probably not. It's not because the concept of church failed. It's because the way that we do, we're eating some nasty old biscuits. And God wants to get us back to what it was supposed to be like. See, getting saved is enough to get you to heaven. 
But doing life together is what it takes to bring heaven to earth. It really does. We're in the Bible Belt. What you hear at most churches, and you've heard from me, is that commit your life to Jesus Christ, pray the Romans Road, accept Jesus as Savior, raise your hand in the service, come down to the altar, and then boom, it was a good Sunday, and pastors go home, and, and we count how many baptisms we have, and we count how many members we have, and we're like, man, we're doing a good job. And it's like, no. Church is about doing life together. That's when heaven comes to earth, is when you and I start doing life together. So there are so many benefits of doing life together, and we've talked about them. But there's one benefit that I think I have needed the most. This is, of all the things that church together does for me, I would say this is the number one thing that has impacted my life. I also believe this is the number one thing that the, that church in America has vacated. We've left undone. We don't do this anymore. See, one of the benefits I think we've lost is having someone who sees your blind spots and walks with you through them. See, we're in a culture that's afraid of pointing out anything having the hard conversation, difficult conversation, speaking into another person's life. But we, we all are living with blind spots. We all do. We all have them. Things that we don't see that are a part of our life. Things that everybody else sees, but we miss. L- let me give you, a, a, let me show you this little video of a blind spot. And this is not a political statement, but it, it was kind of an interesting thing about, and it kind of exposed the idea of a blind spot. Well, that's embarrassing. What's that stuck to President Trump's shoe as he boards Air Force One? How does that happen? How does nobody see that happening? It happened as the president climbed out of his limo in Minneapolis to fly on to his next stop, a rally in Rochester, Minnesota. And there it is, the piece of paper flapping on his heel as he heads up the stairs. The president turns to wave. Why didn't anyone tell him? So what is it? According to the guy who picked it up, it was not toilet paper. It was a small, squarish, moist, wet piece of paper. Well, Mr. President, there's no need to feel embarrassed. Hey, it could happen to anyone. And it does happen, not only to anyone, it happens to every one of us. We have blind spots. And more seriously, Blind spots are those personal traits or aspects we demonstrate and we're not aware of it. Other people see it in us, but we're not aware of it. And when they appear as weaknesses, they can limit the way that we act, the way that we interact with people, the way that we react, the way we behave, the way that we believe. And as a result of it, these blind spots limit our effectiveness. But doing life together, I mean, the way that they did life in the early church, the way that Jesus wanted it done, enables us to see the potential, the value, and the pitfalls that may be hindering our lives. Because you got somebody that you're doing life with that, that's willing to talk about your blind spots. So where do we get these blind spots, and why do we have them? I made a list of places where they come from in my life. You may have a life experience that all of a sudden you have a blind spot 
issue that you just don't see it. Um, you may, it may have been a result of some social coaching that has gone in our society, that since society decides something's normal or everyone is doing it, that therefore that has now become a blind spot. We don't, we don't talk about it. We don't look at it. We don't discuss it any longer. Maybe it's upbringing. It's your family patterns. You know, uh, maybe the way that you were raised. I was raised in a northern Catholic Irish Italian family and there was seven boys and one girl so it made for interesting things so the way that we interacted as a family we had patterns that we did so we made you know when you got seven boys there's a lot of there's a lot of body noises going on at the table Okay, I mean, you know, we did this all the time and, and we did all kinds of things. We burped, we, I, I, I won't go into it all, but we did it. There were times when we would, um, you know, I'd come home and one of my brothers would be fighting with my father, you know, on the floor. And so we were always conflicted. Um, I, we were a yelling family. How many of you come from a yelling family? Yeah, yelling family, okay. Yeah, well, you're, well, you know, you're always talking up like this. I love you, you moron. You know, you're a jerk, but I love you. And so in my family, we always yelled. But you know what? You put us with a, a quiet family, and everybody's like, you guys are crazy. But what do you mean we're crazy? I love my brother. See, up in the Northeast, you, there are, the cuss words, we, don't had, we didn't have cuss words. Those were just things that we said. We didn't mean anything by it when we called you a blankety blank blank, you know. I said I loved you. And so there are these patterns in our families. Racism is one of those, maybe a blind spot that happens, is that you didn't realize that you were being raised and trained or taught with a particular bias that when you get older, you all of a sudden, you don't realize that I, I think that way. But you were trained, you developed a pattern of that. Another way that we get a blind spot is hyper-focus. We get locked into one thing, like your career. Maybe you're at that point where you're developing your career or you gotta do extra work to make it happen, or you're in a, you, maybe you're just moved up into it and you've really gotta make it happen. And so you're so hyper-focused, you have a blind spot and it's your 17-year-old son or daughter, and you've totally forgotten what's going on here. And you don't know you're missing it as a dad or a mom. And you're like, you know, and, and, and that's your blind spot, is your kids, because you're so hyper-focused on one particular, or, or, or maybe you get hyper-focused on, on a child. Maybe you're a, a mom and you're, you're hyper-focused on your two-year-old. And you just don't see what's happening between you and your husband at that particular time in your life. But hyper-focus can create a blind spot. There's the nature of our minds. Maybe you're just, you're lazy. You know, you just got a blind spot. You just don't realize how lazy you are. Or maybe you're, you're, um, you're having an avoidance issue where you're constantly avoiding doing hard things or having hard conversations. Or, or maybe you have certain drives in your life. You know, like you're fresh. You know, you're, every time you see a pretty woman, you, you make a comment about, you look really good today. It's like, 
dude, you're in Publix. You know, I mean, you're shopping. This is, it's totally inappropriate. Well, I didn't mean anything. I just want to let her know she was pretty. It's like, oh, you know, that's, you know, my dad, my, I tell you, talking about Publix, thinking about it. I, my dad is a World War II vet, and so they were a different crowd, thank God for it. They were a different crowd, but he had a whole different social barriers. My dad, I don't know if maybe you guys remember this, but my dad would like be in the middle of the grocery store and unbuckle his buckle and his pants and drop them down a little bit. And you know, he'd wear boxer shorts and retuck his shirt. That's all he's doing, just retucking his shirt. And then pull them all up. You know, they used to wear their, their pants down up to here. And then he'd buckle it real tight. But he did that in the middle of the grocery store. Now today, you'd get arrested for doing something like that. And, but it'd be like, Pop, what are you doing? What? It's like, you can't retuck in the middle of the grocery store. That was a blind spot for him. Every, you know, he'd be pumping gas. You're driving down Main Street, and his pop with his pants down, retucking and pulling him back up again. It wasn't anything evil, but it was a blind spot. Some of us, comfort has caused our blind spot. Uh, the comfort of our lives squelches any want to dive deeper into us. Um, I like the way that it is. I want to keep it the way it is, just the way it is. For some of us, it's pride. We don't think we have any blind spots. Uh, no one can tell you. You're just the way that you are, and it's like, nope, nobody can tell me anything about my life. Another, another blind spot uh, causer for us is ignorance, that we just don't know it was wrong. You know, I mean, seriously, there are just some things you don't know that's wrong. There are some things that you're like, I didn't realize that was in the Bible. Or I didn't realize God said that. And a lot of times that's a blind spot for us. Um, then there's another one, and this sounds kind of spooky, but it is true. There's the unseen realm. Um, that part of the spiritual realm of life that actually wants to create blind spots in you and to hide things or to keep you in darkness. I've got a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This intentional move in the spiritual realm to keep you in the dark, to not let you discover something about you or about God negatively or positively about either one and to keep you into darkness. Then there's sensory overload that you may have too much to handle, too much information coming in. And because you're getting so much information, you don't see what's important anymore. And then actually, so it's not like you're, you're, you don't see something, it's that you're seeing too much and you can't distinguish what's important. And, you know, and, and that happened to me the other day. You know, the countdown to Christmas. I gotta get the lights up. I've got to get the tree up. I've got to get the little model train set up. I've got to get the inflatables up. I've got to get uh, the chestnuts ordered. Um, I've got to get all that stuff. I mean, these are all important to our family traditions. And so I'm busy doing it and, and getting it all. I'm out in the yard and I'm laying out my, my diagram for power distribution, you know, 
It's like I got 20 amps on that circuit over there. That's a 15 amp circuit. That one's only got two wires. That's a three wire system. I can't hook it to that. And I'm laying it out and, you know, and Susan's coming out and she's trying to talk to me about something like, like, our, like about her heart or her feelings or her love. And I'm just like, can you see? I'm trying to work here. I'm trying to do love. I'm trying to do Christmas. And it's like, wait a minute, she's right in front of you. And it's like, what a blind spot that when you get so overloaded with the things that you think, the things that are surrounded, you develop a blind spot to what's important in your life. So doing life together is the choice to invite other people who are devoted to God to speak into your life. Now that's scary to open yourself up to allow people to talk into your life. See, we're in a culture that cancels everybody that says anything about our lives. We're in a culture that says, live your own truth. But when doing life together, there's this advantage that we get because when you have an opinion about life, it's, you only have one opinion of life. I mean, yours. Wouldn't you like to add a couple more God-devoted opinions of life, not any schmuck, okay? Not any doofus. I'm talking about being in a group of people that value what you value, that value God, that are submitted to the wisdom of God, and that humbly speak to each other in love for the sake of building each other up and speak into your life. Every one of us need that. This is what the church did. They spoke the way Jesus spoke. They valued what Jesus valued. And I know if you're here and you're kind of on the fringe, let me just uh, put your heart at, at rest. This is not inviting people to control you. You know, any church that wants to control you, you need to get the heck out of. This is not about control. Um, this is not about opening yourself up to people to berate you, devalue you, talk to you ugly. See, that's the problem, I think, of the church. That's where the biscuits went bad in America, is that, yeah, the church does speak about the truth of God, but I think the way that we spoke it to people and the way we spoke it to the world was not the way Jesus was speaking. This is not a place for people to condemn you, but rather it is living together to bring out the Christ in one another. That's what it's about. So what are some of the areas of your life that you may have a hard time seeing? Um, so I, I kind of compiled a list of blind spots from my own personal experience, also from being the pastor. I've kind of seen what people struggle with and what the difficulty is. And so I've kind of put together a little list. And I, I came up with five of the most common areas that, that Christians have with blind spots, where they have blind spots. Number one, blind spot number one is who you are in Christ. Most of us just don't get it. So many of us forget how forgiven we really are. I mean, you know I'm forgiven. You know, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight, except for you, because you cheated on your wife, um, because you're an addict, or because 
you had an abortion or because you're a racist or because you're greedy or because you were molested or because you're different. Um, and, and this is the biggest blind spot. It's funny, it's, I don't think the number one blind spot in our lives is our sins. I think our number one blind spot is who we are in Christ. How saved you are, how loved you are. And you need somebody around you to remind you who you are. So many of us just have a hard time forgiving and we just can't see it in us. We need somebody to remind us. We need somebody that walks up to us with 2 Corinthians on their lips. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, who's a new creature, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I need somebody that speaks that into my life. Because when I get in my head, I know all my weaknesses. I know all my failures. I know my dark spaces. I know it. And I need, I need more than my opinion. I need God's opinion. And I need you to come up to me and say, hey, dude, I know you just, you really screwed up there, but you need to remember, you, you're a new creation in Christ. That means you're a, you're a child of the living God. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You are beloved of God, called of God, chosen of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All these scriptures, bang, 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 bang. It's like you're talking about somebody else. No, I'm talking about you, man. Dude, but you don't understand. I just cheated on my wife. Yeah, but you know what? You faced it. And I can't tell you how life is going to work out for you, but I do know this. You are a child of God who just had a major mess up, but you've asked God for forgiveness. You are forgiven. Now let's go work on getting the forgiveness the rest of the way around the world. You need somebody like that. And you need somebody that's going to remind you who you are in Christ. I think that's our biggest blind spot. Number two, the blind spot is the impact you can have. It's like, wow. Still not sin here. Because I don't think it's our, I don't think, everybody knows about their sin. You know? You know when you're doofus. You know when you're ugly. You know when you're lying. You know when you're cheating. You know, you, you know this. That's not our, Christianity's number one strength shouldn't be to point out the failures of the world and the people around us. Our number one thing should be remind those who are in Christ who they are in Christ, even though they walk around with failures. And the number two blind spot I find is the impact you can make. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We need to have together around us so that we can be reminded we can make a difference that we matter. I, would, I have been in ministry now for like almost 40 years. Um, and it's like, uh, I would not be still the pastor of this church. Uh, and that's been like, like 25 something years. Uh, but I would not be the pastor if it wasn't for my staff. You say, why? I said, because I come in here every Monday morning and they got to take a load off of me. I know you think after Sunday morning and I'm walking home, like, you know, uh, <laughs> I just told those people, you know, 
Man, I just laid them out. That was a good one. You think I'm kind of going through in the offering basket, throwing money up in the air. We're in the money, you know? It's like, it's a great day, you know? No, I'm going home and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I suck. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I, you know, cracked that joke. I can't believe I, I mean, I'll, I'll just kind of like just beat myself up. So I'll come into work on a Monday uh, and I'll be, nine out of 10 times, I'll be like, okay, guys, give me the news. I, uh, that first service sucked. I mean, I'm so bad, I'll be like, you need to delete the first service. And that's why sometimes if you ever go on the web and you want to recommend a service to somebody, and you're like, hey, yeah, you need to see this service. And you're like, contact the church. Hey, uh, I can't find it. It's like Pastor Paul had it deleted. Why? Because it was so terrible that it was the best we could do was get it off the, off the internet. But, but my team, they don't lie to me. They don't be like, oh, shucks, you're good, you know? They're like, you know, okay, maybe that was a little strong or maybe that was, okay, maybe that joke was a little inappropriate or, or whatever it is, but, you know, and they'll remind me, they'll be like, you know, don't quit. You're the guy, you're, you know, this is God's called you. Every one of us need that. Everyone, every dad here needs another dad to come up and put their arm around them and say, hey, don't you give up, man. Yeah. Every mother here needs another mother to come alongside and to encourage them. Every teenager, every person here needs somebody that comes along and says, I believe in you, not because I'm making up some nice fluffy cotton candy concept of everybody's a winner, that's a lie. No, but what's not a lie is we're new creations in Christ. Old things are passed away. That we are God's workmanship created for good works. Speaking God into another person's life. That God's got a plan for you. That was, that was number two that we forget. Number three is this. Okay, this is, this is where we get into it. Is um, your destructive proclivities. And some of you are like, proclivities? I don't have one of those. Or I got that removed from the doctor. And it's like, no, no, proclivities are things that we have a habit of doing. You know, things that we say we won't do, but we do them anyway. Those are kind of like uh, um, things that we're kind of inclined to. We all have them. We all have blind spots. First John 1, 8 says this, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But most of you can't do that because you're afraid. And you know where you're afraid, most afraid? Right here. You'll cuss like a sailor, and I don't know why sailors get a bad rap. I, I, I served with some Marines, and, and they were pretty, they had some language on them, but you know, the cuss like a sailor, and it's like, uh, but you know where you're most afraid to reveal yourself is right here. Um, and, but, the blind spot is that all of us have problems, all of us have sin, and we need a group of people that uh, we're not afraid to speak the truth around about our lives and what's really going on in our lives. Paul said it this way, brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted Bear one another's burden and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. We need to be challenged in love. The whole atmosphere. It's like, listen, 
we need to be willing to challenge one another in love. It says, and be, do it in such a way as, you know, you could have a problem with this one day in your life. But there's something powerful about having somebody that will come up, come up and in love call you on your stuff. Because we all got, we all got stink. And I don't care if you're 80 here and you've been Baptist since you were born. I don't care if you're 17 and you're super cool. I don't care. We all got it. And this is a place where the pretense, people say, well, you got to bring your Sunday best. That's a lie. Bring your brokenness here. Bring your whacked out mind here. Bring your brokenhearted self here. Bring your guilt here. Bring your shame here because we want it to be a place where it ends here because you experience incredible love. But you got to be willing to allow yourself to be talked to. I got this beautiful example in my life um, about being challenged that, uh, that I was uh, working at the church, and, and I'm going to give names here because I want you to know this happened in real life. But uh, I have a great friend here that's been a friend for over 25 years, Kathy Piscazio. She's in the back there. She works in the nursery a lot. Kathy Piscazio. And, and so I was working at the church, and Kathy was here, and she wanted to have a conversation with me, but I didn't want to have the conversation because I'm an A-type personality. That's a nice way of saying something else but I'm an A-type personality, and I was busy, and she wanted to have a conversation, and I said something snarky to her. Now, remember, she's, she's Italian like me, and she's from, she's from New York, and I'm from Boston, so I owe her anyway. But, you know, so there's a natural animosity and binding together there. And so she was talking to me, and I just snarked off to her, you know, said something rude, and then all of a sudden, Leslie Gramling comes from around the corner and says to me, don't talk to my friend that way. And, and, I, and not, you know, not in some little gentle way. She just, she said, don't talk to my friend that way. And I'm, you know, I'm the pastor of this church, woman. And I was looking for First Corinthians. I forbid a woman to speak in the church. And I'm like, I really want to use that verse today. But it was like, and it's like, what, what did I know in this situation? This person doesn't want to hurt me. This person wants to grow me. This person isn't looking to tear me down. She's not looking to embarrass me. She's not trying to crush me. She's not trying to berate me. But she is going to call me on my stuff. And I was wrong. So I asked Kathy to forgive me. And since that, for 20 years, I've had to endure hugging her every single Sunday I see her. I'm still paying penance for this crime that I've committed against her. I'll tell you what, though. What did it change my opinion of? Leslie Gramling. I was like, that's a woman that regardless of what position I hold in this church, in love, she's going to call me on my junk. And she stopped me from a destructive behavior. Which one of us here doesn't need that? That's what the original church was about. You know, and it, was, it was about being willing to have people around you in love that you've developed a trust relationship with, that you could 
that you could share with and that you could allow them to speak. Listen to this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. What an interesting language. The prayer of the righteous person is very powerful in effect. James 5, 16. I have found that when I sin, I go to God and I, I pray to God to forgive me. Okay, I just robbed that jewelry store. Lord God, I am so sorry. I, I don't think that's right and I shouldn't have done it. I robbed that jewelry store. I have no doubt that God has forgiven me. But you know what? I'll carry that around with me. Um, I'm a robber. Um, I'm somebody that has done something wrong. And um, you know what's crazy? Is that when I was 18, I, I robbed a jewelry store. It's like, I just remember, I'm not making this up. I actually did that. I robbed a jewelry store. Um, and... Um, then, uh, so, but now what I do is I'm not only, God has forgiven me, okay? That's done. Uh, God has forgiven me. But when I go up to another human being that I trust, and, and, and I go to Brady, and I say, Brady, dude, I got to get this thing off of me. I need to let you know. Um, I robbed Colucci's. You know, I robbed the jewelry store. And it wasn't Colucci's, by the way. Okay, but I'm just throwing that out there. I robbed the jewelry store. I'm like, dude, I need you to pray with me. There's something about that horizontal admission that works in the psyche of our minds. Christianity has always been vertical and horizontal. You know, committing yourself to the apostles' teaching, yeah, that's cool. Committing yourself to fellowship. It's, it's the horizontal end. And so there's something about when you can get real, not with everybody, but when you can go up to somebody and say, listen, dude, I want to let you know, I've asked God to forgive me, but I cheated on my wife. All right. Okay. There's something powerful about doing life together. It said that confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. I really don't, yes, you know, Catholics got this right in a wrong kind of way. When I was raised Catholic, what you had to do is if you sinned, you went to the priest, you confessed your sin, you went into a little booth, and then he would absolve you of your sin, and then you could receive communion. That was all messed up. That's like, that's some bad biscuits right there, cold biscuits. No, no, I was already forgiven by praying to Jesus myself. But there is a strength of restoration that happens confessing your faults to one another. You know, there's just something therapeutic and healing to the human mind that somebody else knows, somebody else safe, somebody who doesn't share it with everybody or turn it into a prayer request on the internet. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, so we are members of one another. I love this. This isn't lying about how big your fish was when you caught it. This is not about lying about, you know, in that sense. It's speaking truth with each other. It means drop the pretense. You know, on Sunday morning, I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of pretense that goes on here. You know, we come in, it's like, how are you doing? Good, man, it's amazing. And you just fought like cats and dogs out there with your wife. You know, I mean, you just like... the. We, you know, the day before, something going on. But we'll come in here, and he's like, stop that. Stop pretending in front of everybody. 
Not that you got to be stand up here and be honest in front of everybody, but part of the body, find yourself in Christ, people that you can, you can fully disclose to, that you can, that you can be honest with. And, and then on the other side, this could also mean this, speak the truth to each other. Meaning that if your brother's got something going wrong in his life, don't lie to him. Oh, dude, man, don't worry about that. Everybody struggles with that. No, you need to call him on it. Sometimes people will, you know, they'll do you wrong. And they'll be like, I'm so sorry, that was wrong of me. And you'll be like, oh, what? 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 No, that's not that. I didn't know that. It's like, it's like, get honest. Yeah, I gotta be honest with you, that did rock me a little bit. But I just wanna let you know you're forgiven. You know, but we won't do that. You know, if, you know, I'm in relationships with, right now, I have no doubt that I have enough guys around me that if they saw me yelling at my wife in the parking lot, I'm willing to bet one of you guys in relationship with me would be like, hey, Paul, what's going on, man? Because I know that's not you. I know that, I, that, I, I know you know better. What's, there's got to be something going on in your life. But if you would just let me like yell at my wife and not call me on it, what's up with that? He says, stop that pretense. And because I would believe that you had my best interest at heart. You would have my wife's best interests at heart. But we're in a society of like, dude, you be you. You do you. That's your truth, man. You do you. And that's not what the church is about. Number four, the call, the path to Christ-likeness. I don't think most of us know that he gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. There's a whole bunch of rest of that verse that goes on, is that when we do together, we get Jesus right. Because when we get separated by ourselves and doing just us and God, we come up with all kinds of what Jesus is, who Jesus is, who God is, what's right and what's wrong. And it's like, no, doing together, we get the path to Christ's likeness right. We need that in our lives. Well, we're just doing church, just me and my wife at our house. Oh, I'm like, okay, that's cool, that's cool. Yeah, it's just us, so we, don't, we don't wanna mess with church. Oh, okay, cool. So, so who pastors you? Who prays for you? Who, who, um, who speaks the revelation of God? Who makes sure that you're interpreting the scriptures right? Who, who cheers you up? Who encourages you? Who strengthens you? Who corrects you? Ah, oh, no, no, it's just me and my wife. It's like, no, that's, that's bad biscuits right there. But God has called us into relationship with together so that we can discover what the path of Christ-likeness looks like. And here's the last one, number five. And we'll close with this. Number five, number five blind spot, who you are in Christ. And I know any of you have been taking notes like Katie over there. You just realize number one and number five are exactly the same. And I'll tell you why they have to be the same. Because you need to be doubly reminded who you are in Christ, then you need to be singly reminded what you have done wrong. See, the church is real good at reminding us who's the evildoers. 
But what we fail to do is over and over and over and over remind you what God has made clean, let no man call unclean. That when we have, that he has forgiven and thrown our sins as far as the east is from the west. That we are new creations in Christ. Broken, yes. Frail, yes. Blind spots all over the place. But you are in Christ. That you are loved by God. You are beloved. That you are engraved in the palms of his hands. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You have been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. It's like God loves you so much that the blood of Christ was poured out. The beloved Son of God poured out his life to communicate to you and I who we are in Christ. You have been bought with an incredible sacrifice. And you need to remember that. You need to doubly remember that. I know you're reminded every day of the things that you do wrong, but you need to be doubly reminded of who you are in Christ. So for all this to work, we must choose together. We must abandon our singularity and come together, decide to do life together. For this to work, and this is super tough, super tough, but it's what they did. We have to value the journey into Christ's likeness in one another and in ourselves more than we value the comfort and the status quo of the relationship. We gotta value Christ's likeness higher than everything. Yeah, but that means you and your brother aren't, you're gonna have conflict. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna value Christ's likeness over the comfort of this relationship. Too many of us, in order to keep the status quo, not to screw it up, to keep everything comfortable, we will avoid an obvious truth or avoid an obvious wrong just to keep the status quo. But we need to make the decision that, you know what? I love you so much that I gotta speak into your life. I want to be like Christ so much. I need you to speak into my life. To not speak into each other's life is called unchristian. So what's the benefit of all this? Christ likeness. We grow into Christ. And I want that. And that's what the early church was about. That's when the biscuits smell best. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. Yes, sparks may fly, but love will prevail. And that's what God's called us to in relationship with one another. I remember my pastor said to me that uh, Fred Richard, who helped start Crosstown and Seacoast and a bunch of other churches around the low country area. And I remember me and him were together. We were alone and uh, at a prayer time. And, uh, and I remember he said to me, and he said he would deny this if it was ever quoted in public. But he said to me, you are the best communicator I have ever heard. 
He said, and out of our churches, you are the best communicator. And I was like, wow. And I was only like 36 at the time, you know. And then he said to me, you are also the most arrogant man I have ever met. And since I was arrogant, I went with the first thing. No, but I'll tell you what, it was like, I needed a man to tell me what I could accomplish, what I was gifted with, how I could make a difference. I needed somebody to say that. And he was wise enough to say, but that's not all you need. You don't need me just to butter your bread. You need me to toast it first. And it was like, you got a problem with arrogance. And I'll tell you what, those were some of the most faithful, kindest words anybody has ever spoken to me because he loved me enough to hurt me. But I knew that he didn't want to hurt me to wound me. He wanted to hurt me to heal me of something greater. So let me encourage you to dare to step into together where people will love you in your brokenness, speak truth to you in your brokenness, that you'll speak into their lives. Getting saved is enough to get you to heaven, but doing life together is what it takes to bring heaven to earth. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you that in this moment, we take it all and we come back to the table of Christ, to the breaking of bread, remembering the sacrifice that you made for us because you knew that we doubly needed to be reminded that we were forgiven. And as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are reminded that we were invited together to a table with one another. And we were reminded here that 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 table is not the table of accusation. It is the table of forgiveness. Father, you bring us together in this moment under Jesus Christ with all of our blind spots. And you love us. So Father, as we eat and drink, as we come together in this holy sacrament, Lord God, today we are reminded who we are in Christ. We are the sons and daughters of the living God. And you will never leave us nor forsake us.